Thank you, Shane. That's great to hear just the, you know, just the different voices uh, from the different house churches. I, I mean, we can quibble about who's really a number one seed house church if we were to do a bracket, and I guess that's maybe what we sh- should start doing is organizing our house churches in brackets form for people to choose. Well, this morning we are continuing our series here. Not just continuing, we're finishing. This is it. This is the last sermon in the series here on Daniel. We're at the very end of the book of Daniel. And I, I hope that this series has been good for you. If you're just joining us, well, you've picked a good week to just join us as we kind of wrap up everything and wrap up this series. Uh, and, and really, what we've, what we've seen so far in the book of Daniel, right, we really have this wisdom on how to live in a time like now, right? I mean, like, you know, the situation that Daniel finds himself in, the situation that the Jews have found themselves in, in exile, in a foreign land, a place that is not their place, surrounded by people who are not their people, right? And as they are trying to maintain their identity, their allegiance to their God in the midst of a culture that is very pluralistic and that is very at times opposed to them and at times supportive of them. And this kind of back and forth difficulty of really kind of living in that time. And the wisdom of Daniel, right, that we've seen all the way through, right, there's wisdom, great, great wisdom in the book of Daniel. And the wisdom is really centering around these ideas of belief and resistance, right? You see Daniel and his friends throughout the book, right, they believe in God. They believe he controls history. That seems to be the first fundamental piece of wisdom, that we have to believe that God controls history. God is over it, that nothing is outside of his power and his control. And that's fundamental. I believe those things. And if I believe that, I resist the powers of this world. And that's what Daniel and his friends and everyone keeps doing. They're, They're continually resistant. I mean, to the point of just straight disrespectful, you know, if you think back to even like, I was just reflecting over some of these stories, right? Those Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego to the king, right? I mean, we don't need to give you an answer. I mean, just this, whoa, who are you to speak to a king this way, right? They, they resist all the time. They're, they're incredibly faithful. They submit and they serve and they work. They never quit on the duties that they have. They love their kings, they love their culture, they love their neighbors, yet at the same time, they are resistant always to bowing the knee to those things that they love. You know, they always are resisting the power and the allure of power, or when they're given positions of authority and power, rather than embrace those, they use those positions for the good of others. They're just just so unlike their culture, because they believe in a God who is over their culture. And then the other third piece of wisdom that we keep seeing through the book of Daniel is the need to teach, right? Teaching people this, this truth, giving down this wisdom, handing it down to future generations because the exile is a limited period of time. They're only going to be there 70 years. But if you heard that, 70 years, we're going to be there 70 years. And the prophet Jeremiah told him this, like you're going to go off into exile, but your children are going to come home. Right, like you are going to be in the exile, and again, it's very much like the Exodus. That first generation is going to go. You're not going to go see that. You're not going to see the promised land, but your kids will. How would that change the way you treat your children? Right? How would that affect the way that you view the necessity to pass down the teachings? Well, that's wisdom. Pass down these teachings. You may not see the ending, right? But there will be a generation that will. Are you going to teach these things? Well, you resist is a good thing. Yep, I believe and I resist, but I, it's not enough just for me. I have to teach. 
I have to lead others in this. And then you see throughout, the fourth kind of piece of this wisdom that we've seen throughout the book of Daniel is just the centrality and importance of prayer. I mean, they are praying all the time throughout the book of Daniel. Daniel is continually, faithfully dedicated in his prayers, right? Responding to scripture, reading the scriptures, reflecting on the promises of God, and he prays and continually prays and prays and prays. And it all centers around this promise, right? He keeps praying around the promise, the promise of the prophets, the promise of scripture, right? In the Old Testament, all of the prophets gave really the same bit of advice, the same prophetic word that Daniel continues to meditate on, and it's that everything will find its fulfillment one day. That's what the promise always says. It says, you're going to be judged for your sin, Israel. I'm going to take you away from a place. Yeah, I'm going to, you, I gave you a king. I gave you a land, but you didn't understand it. I took it away from you because it became an idol to you. I've taken you out of there, but I'll put you back. I'm going to plant you one day. One day, right, you will have a new land, a new king. But even better than that, I will give you new hearts. And if you know the prophet Jeremiah, right, like I will, I will give you a new law. Instead of a law that's going to be written in stone, I'm going to give you a law that's going to be written on your heart. You right now, right, are unfaithful, chronically turning away from God. One day, I'm going to make it so that you won't be able to turn from me anymore. That's the promise that God makes. I'm going to put you in a land, but I'm also going to make it so that you will genuinely love me. And you will no longer struggle with sin. You will no longer feel the pain and the hurts of this life that everything, all of the pain, all of the suffering will be like nothing, will be a distant, distant memory, that one day you will finally, fully be truly, your full potential, your realization of who you are will be experienced. But the issue is, right, when? (laughs) When is this going to happen? How long do we have to wait for this to come? When will the fulfillment actually happen? And Daniel is praying over these things. How long, Lord, is this exile? How long are we going to experience the pain of being in an exile? The pain and the suffering of life. If you think of Israel's pain and disappointment, because at the end here, like we've talked about, we've walked all the way through the exile. They were taken away, but now at the end, they're back in the land. They've, they've gone home. And it's been a huge disappointment. Because they went back thinking, right, okay, exile over, here we go. Now we get to rebuild, now we get to start over. And there's people living there. Their walls are destroyed, their temple is destroyed. There's persecution and pain and heartache, and it's hard. Physically, it's hard. And you have Ezra and Nehemiah, and you have people that are trying to rebuild the walls, trying to rebuild the temple, and they can't motivate the people (laughs) to do anything. But even once they motivate them to build walls and build temples, then spiritually, the people just give up again and go right back to worshiping the gods of Egypt that they've been worshiping forever. And you're just like, what was all this for, God? Why did you take us away to bring us back? And now we're just experiencing the same things again in this this cycle of just sin and pain and disappointment. And this ending of Daniel, this apocalyptic literature, boy, and it's exciting that George is coming with Revelation next, right? It really comes great out of Daniel. Because Daniel here, these last three chapters finish with this apocalyptic vision of the end. And now we get to go through that with Revelation. But the apocalyptic literature, these visions of Daniel here at the end, it, it reminds us this world can't be fixed. Right? That's what it tells me. 
It tells me you can't fix this world. We can't fix our cities. We can't fix our walls. We can't fix our temples. This world can't be fixed. It's fundamentally broken that I can work as hard as I possibly can and we as humans can work as hard as we can to fix this world, but we won't be able to. All of the apocalyptic literature, all of Scripture keeps pointing to this. This world is broken past the ability to be repaired. Nobody wants to hear that. It's a very offensive message. How dare you, right? Like, no, the world is not broken. This is the generation to fix this world, right? This next generation will be the one who can fix it. Or No, we just need to work harder at it. Or this, this, this church, right, will be the ones who will fix this world. We can fix it. I can fix it. Because fundamentally, if I hear that the world's broken, what you're telling me, right, is that I'm broken. What you're telling me is I can't fix myself either. Right? We don't want to hear that either. Right? We live in this world, a culture of there's programs, there's systems, there's things. You can fix yourself. You don't like the way you look, you can fix that. You don't like the way that you think, you can fix that. You don't like, I mean, you can fix this. I can, there's got to be a way to fix it. Right? <laughs> the Bible continually tells us, no, you and this world are broken beyond repair. There's no fixing. The only hope is for things to be completely recreated. There's no easy fix. Everything's going to have to be restarted, recreated. And while we wait for that recreating of all things, right, we're called to live in wisdom. If you have a Bible with you, open it up to Daniel chapter 12. We're going to be going through this last section here of verses 5 through 13, our shortest section of the Bible now that we've been going through it. But here in Daniel 12, verses 5, starting verse 5, this is how the book ends. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and a half time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. And then in verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, What shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. So these last three chapters are all part of one big vision, right? So it's a familiar vision. It's a familiar one if you heard last week. This man clothed in linen. 
this beautiful angel surrounded by others, right? Two other angels, all seeing this beautiful man, right? Who was the one who had last time right, terrified Daniel to the point of he couldn't speak, but then also comforted him and gave him the vision of the end. And the whole vision here at the end centers around two fundamental questions, right? Did you see them? One was asked by the angel, and then one is asked by Daniel. These two questions, how long, right, is the first question. This is the question that, Dan, that, not, that the angel asks, right? The angel asks, how long? How long until this all comes to be? And he gives the answer. And then Daniel, right? And then Daniel now in this section says, okay, I get how long, but how will it end? Right? How will I know? How will, how will this finish? What will the finish to the story look like? How will we know when we've reached the ending of all of these things? And these are the two fundamental questions, really, of the wisdom literature and really of the book of Daniel. How long? How long? How long, O oh Lord? Right? How long will I be broken? How long will we have to wait? How long? Right? This question is asked so often from the Psalms, Habakkuk to Revelation, right? This like, how long? Right, because we get it. Right? We get we get the wisdom. We get it. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know I have to trust you. I know in the midst of pain and suffering, right, I'm to cling on to you. But how long? How long do we have to wait? And the answer that's given is a really interesting one, right? He answers the question twice in two different ways. The first time he says, it's going to be for a time, times, and a half. And then it says, it'll be for 1,290 days. So he gives the same answer. It's really describing the same amount of time, right? If, you, if you've done the math, maybe some of you did the math in your head, maybe you didn't. But it's really, it's three and a half years. That's what he's telling him. Three and a half years, Daniel. And he tells it to him twice, and the angel twice, and in two different ways. And the, and the point really being, not that you understand that it's a literal three and a half years, but that it's half of a complete period of time. Seven years would have been a complete period of time, right? So seven is complete. This is not going to be a complete period. How long do you have to wait? Well, not a whole time, half, not complete, that it's limited. That seems to be the big idea that, the, that God, is, this angel, is trying to communicate to Daniel and to, to us as the readers. The time of waiting has been limited. It's not as long as it has to be. It's not as long as it could be, right? How long? It's not as long as it could be. It's been limited by God. And then the answer, right, giving us this very precise to the day, it's limited by God. It's not the full time, but it's also a precise time. God also knows exactly how long. But then gives us that new number, 1,335. And I think it's purely just to kind of throw us off the trail a little of giving you a bit mysterious, how long do I have to wait though? Well, don't, once you get to that one, three and a half years, then keep waiting, right? God knows how long exactly you need to wait. This heightened sense of mystery. And it really seems to be the answer to that question then of how long. The book of Daniel and all of Scripture seems to tell us that this whole period of waiting, right, this whole time that we're in, all of history seems to be a time of judgment and of trial. That this is what life is. This is what life is for Israel. This is what life is for us. That this life is like a refining fire, is the image. 
that continually is given. This refining, a revealing, right, of who we are. And the angel says, right, many will purify themselves during this period of time. Everyone's going to go through the fire. Some will come out purified and gold, right, at, that, at the end of the fire. Others will not. They will go through the fire, and there will be nothing coming out of the other end of the fire. Because the fire, right, the suffering doesn't produce anything, right? And that's also been pretty clear from Daniel. It's trying to show you, like, there's no intrinsic value in just suffering, just enduring trials, just in going through things. That doesn't produce things in us. It reveals what's in us and what God is doing in us. The suffering them- itself is suffering. There's just suffering. There's unjust suffering. Everyone is going to suffer, but that suffering will reveal right, what Christ is doing and who we are. Because there's two kind of errors that we can kind of take when it comes to this picture of suffering. And you see it in the book of Daniel, warned, and it's certainly what we see here too, right? You can look at suffering in two ways. You can blame suffering. Suffering is an obstacle to the happiness and the joy of life that I should have. Suffering is something wrong, right? Suffering should be avoided. Suffering should end quickly, right? We don't want to suffer, and I can just blame suffering, Right, like what's my fundamental problem? Well, my circumstances. The suffering is the problem. Right, I blame my circumstances for why I'm unhappy. I blame what's going on around me. What, why, is, why is life hard right now? Like, easy. I can, lo- I can make a laundry list of why life is hard. It's because this person is doing this to me. It's because I don't have this job. It's because I don't have this answer to life because I'm not getting this. I'm not getting this. It, it, yeah, it's easy. That's one way of viewing suffering. Suffering's a problem to be overcome. Suffering is just a sidetrack from the true life that I was meant to live. I don't, I don't deserve suffering. I don't want suffering. Suffering is momentary, and I blame it. The other extreme, though, right, you can go to is you can put your hope in suffering. And Christians have been great at this over the centuries as well, where you move to the other extreme. It's called asceticism, right, where you really put your hope in in hurting your body and going without, you know, truly, de- true devotion. Like, look, I'm, I'm a martyr, Right, and if I'm good enough, if I suffer enough, right? I mean, now, now I'm worthy. Right? I want to be refined because some of us enjoy trials. Some of us enjoy, right, like going through these things. Like I want to get tested and approved, and I want to prove my worth, right? I don't mind. You know, it's it's like an athlete. Some athletes really enjoy the the working even more than the competing, right? Like I I want to work hard. I want to go through this. It's not suffering to me. This is this is enjoyable to me. <laughs> Right, you embrace suffering to the extreme where you, you see suffering as a means of salvation. You see suffering no longer as suffering, but actually as a work that you can do to provide something good in your life. The wisdom of Daniel, right, points us to, that, to neither of those two extremes. There will be suffering. Everyone is going to suffer. That's clear. Right, that, we're not going to escape it. Some suffering is going to be very just. Israel's suffering is just. They deserved the suffering that they went through because of their sin. There's consequences. <laughs> I suffer often because of the decisions that I make, the things that I do. I, I, I'm forgiven of those things, but I can't escape the suffering that comes along with it. There's just suffering that follows. But then there is some suffering that's very unjust. Israel suffers this as well in the exile. Daniel, 
What did Daniel do? What did he, how did he deserve right, to have his family wiped out, for him to be carried off into captivity, who had did nothing wrong, sins of his parents' generation and their generation, right? He is holy and upright. What did he do? Why does he deserve any of this? But he claims to deserve it, right? In his prayers, he owns it as his sin, right? He doesn't blame his circumstances. He takes ownership for his own sinfulness in it, right? But it's, it's not just. But the wisdom of Daniel points us to all, everyone is going to suffer, but our suffering is limited. Our suffering is known by God. Every suffering that we are ever going to face in life is limited. The timing is known by God. It's exact. It may not match my timing. It may not match my expectations, right? I would love to know, right? When is, because for some of us, we are suffering. For some of us, we have suffered. For some of us, the suffering is in the future. It'd be great to know when that was going to come so I can plan accordingly, right? I'll just, if I can just put enough money away, if I know that I'm going to be losing a job soon, if I know, right, we're going to have a medical issue, if I know, right, that the government is going to make some ruling against churches meeting, all right, be great to know when so that I can start planning this. I don't, I don't know, but God does. That's the message of Daniel. He knows when you will suffer and he is with you in your suffering. He will not leave you. He will not forsake his people. He knows us. He hears us. He suffers with us, right? That's continually through Daniel. And he uses our suffering for good. Whether it's a just or unjust suffering, God will use that suffering for good. But it still doesn't stop crying out for it to end. How long? How long? Everyone suffers. Christianity seems to promise suffering. But what's our response to the suffering? What's your response to your suffering? Because you're either in it or you've come out of it or you're facing it in the future. How do you respond? Do you distract yourself? Medicate yourself? So you don't even see your suffering? Right? I'm too busy to see my suffering, right? distract myself with games, with social media, with Netflix, with friends, with whatever, work. I mean, I, 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 I'm so, I don't want to even look at my suffering. Do I minimize it, right? Do you insulate yourself from it? I mean, are you so insulated from suffering you can't even feel? You can't even feel it? I think much of the Christian life, much of, that's the American dream, actually, right, is to be so insulated that you could never feel it. Suffering will be not something I feel. It'll be something others feel. And I'll be willing to help them when they suffer, but from a distance that I will never have to engage that suffering. Or do you feel your suffering? Right? It seems that the, the suffering, we're supposed to feel it. Do you cry out to God in faith? How long, O oh Lord? Right? In your suffering, do you pray? In your suffering, do you cry out? Do you join with the saints? Because that seems to be the response to suffering. The proper response to suffering throughout Scripture seems to be to cry out to God in faith, how long? This isn't right. This isn't what you've intended. How long? How long? The need for prayer, the need for Christian community, 
the need to join with others in their suffering? Do you cry out with your brothers and sisters in their pain and their suffering and own it as yours? Like Daniel, right? How long must I suffer my sins, even when they're the sins of someone else? Right? Do you feel the weight of sin? Do you feel the weight of the brokenness of your life and of the lives around you? Or are you too medicated, too distracted, too insulated to even feel the pain and the hurt that you're actually experiencing or that your brother and sister is experiencing? And then that second question, how is this going to end? Right? Because it's one thing to know how long, but the second thing is how is it going to end? And the reply of how it's going to end Whoa, right. Boy, talk about taking the wind out of your sails. The answer of when is it going to end, how is it going to end, it's going to end when the saints are broken. That's not the, that's not the answer I wanted, right? Because he said, when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be finished. This goes against, right, all of our hopes and our dreams. It goes against the common understanding of wisdom, right? Power and strength should be the good ending, right? All these things will come to an end when the saints have the power, when the saints are victorious, when the saints, right, are ruling and are winning the battle. But he doesn't say that. It won't come to an end until we have been broken, the saints have been shattered. And you're like, wait, can't we win? <laughs> can't the church, I thought the church was supposed to win at the end. Right? Can't we gather and get more and more power and consolidate this so that right, Christ just kind of gets to ride in and sit on the throne that we've built him? Our hopes and our desires right, get revealed in this word, right? Because the hope, my hope and desire, right, is for power. It's for strength. It's not for weakness. I don't want to be broken, right? We cry out, how long must I stay broken? How long will I be broken? And well, how is it going to end? You're eventually going to make me good again, right? Like we're going to be whole again. And he says, no, not until you've been broken will the victory come, right? The church historically, right? Boy, that desire for security, that desire for power, that desire for Right, peace, influence. Right, it, it, Daniel's been warning us all the way through. Right, that, that that desire for security, that desire for power, is not a good thing. But rather, this has been God's plan from the beginning of the world. In God's wisdom, He is going to take a broken and shattered people, right, and He will remake them and make them glorious and beautiful. Right? Like there will be a victory for the church, but it's not going to be a victory that the church earns or wins for themselves. Right? And you have this picture of the angels looking on, right? All of heaven is looking on. How long? What will it look like? Right? They don't know the ending. How how is this going to be possible? How is God going to take this group of people (laughs) who are so broken and unfixable? Right? Because I mean, if you know yourself, and I know myself, right? Like, us? Really? 
Like, and, and you read this in Ephesians. You read everywhere, right? Like the power of God is being made known to the heavenly places. The wisdom of God is going to be made known when the saints get revealed, when the church comes to its fullness, when God reveals his love through us. And you're like, how on earth is this going to be possible, right? He's going to have to make us strong. <laughs> He's going to have to build me up. I've got to really get over my sins. I've got to really get my strengths together here. We've got to do some great things if we're going to reveal the wisdom of God. But no, the message is, right, we will actually be a broken mess that God will recreate and will make beautiful. And if God can do that, right, what can't he do? What beauty will that be if he takes someone broken and hopeless in this world and he makes them victorious? But how can we trust this word? Because the word of Daniel, how can this give us any hope? (laughs) Right? Like, oftentimes, right, we want the gospel, we want Christianity to be a message of strength, right? A way, a a program or something, right? I want to become better. Right, I want to come to church, I want to join the family of God to get over my weaknesses, not to become weaker. <laughs> I want to become stronger. I, I want to become a better, whatever it is. Like, I, don't, I don't want to hear a message right, that if I follow Jesus, my life is actually going to involve even more pain and suffering than I'm currently experiencing, that it's going to involve more persecution, that in fact I'm going to have to embrace brokenness. No, <laughs> I came to fix my issues. I expect quick, right? I know I'm dealing with sin. I want to be able to pray. I want to be able to go through a Bible study with you. I want to go through some counseling sessions and fix myself. I want to be fixed. I want it to end, right? I want my body to feel better. I want my marriage to be better. I want me to be better. That's why I've come to Christ, to become better, (laughs) to become stronger. But instead, right, he says, no, if you want to find your life, you're going to have to lose it. If you want to find victory, you've got to embrace some brokenness. You need to embrace how unfixable you are. How can I trust him in this? How, do I, how can I trust that true power, true glory comes through suffering, comes through brokenness, comes right, through shame? Why is that the path? And the evidence that we have right, is because God was broken. Right, this is how he demonstrates this for us. This is how he secures it for us. He doesn't just demand us to be broken. He was broken for us. Right? Jesus is the picture of suffering and brokenness. Right? I mean, meditate on that picture of Christ. His death, he does not die like, in a, like a martyr. His death is not a martyr's death. It is a whimpering, soft, quiet, anonymous death. He's not able, he can't even physically bring himself to the cross, his, weak, his weakness. He can't even carry his own cross. He has to be helped to the cross. He can't even stay alive more than a few hours. And a normal human, right, could have lived on that cross for days and days. Jesus can't even make it a night, right? I mean, when they hear the reports that he dies, like, he's dead already? What a baby, <laughs> like what a weakling. He couldn't even make it. He had to, his body had to be carried. He had to be carried. He couldn't, his last hours on earth, right? It was not a defiant, do your worst to me, right? Kind of a death. He doesn't die that death. Instead, he dies a very nondescript, broken, 
death of a common criminal that no one noticed, no one cared, no one showed up at his death or at his funeral. That's broken. The Son of God, the one who deserved power and glory, suffered and died and was broken and embarrassed for me. But also, he was vindicated. Right? He wasn't fixed. God didn't ride down in glory all of a sudden and take him off of that cross. But he rose from death. He came back to life. And in his resurrection, right, we get a true picture of power and of hope. Of what life will look like. He rose glorious and without blemish, securing for us the future and the reward that awaits us. How do I know that this path I'm on is the right path? Because it's the path that Christ went down and it's the path that he secured the final victory and ending for me. Right? If Jesus didn't die from the dead, this is Paul, right? Christians are to be the most pitied in the world because what's waiting for us? We live a life of suffering and love of others, right? Because love, to love people is suffering. To forgive people is suffering, right? To deal with sin, my own sin, but the sins of others is incredible suffering. What hope is there? If there's no resurrection waiting me, why do any of this? It'd be better to medicate my life. It'd be better to run from suffering. It would be better to just distract myself. But because Christ rose from the dead, oh, this is worth it. This is momentary. This is refining, right? And I can look forward to that day. So really, the book of Daniel and all of this for us, right, it points us, again, to where is our hope in the face of prolonged suffering and trial, because many of us are experiencing that now. We have been in suffering for a long period of time in our life. It may be decades, it may be years, it may be months, it may feel like a long time. Or we have gone through it and now we are not. Or that suffering is awaiting us, <laughs> right? Don't, right? A wise woman, Deirdre Chance, has told, told me this, right? Everyone suffers. <laughs> Doesn't matter how nice your life is now. You will suffer. It's coming, right? Suffering is what awaits you. That's what Revelation, that's what Daniel is telling the whole church. Suffering is what's awaiting us. Persecution and suffering. So what are we doing? What's our hope in the face of that suffering, especially this prolonged suffering? How do you react? Do you put your hope in the suffering ending? Right? That's one way to react to prolonged pain and suffering, right? To trial. You say, I just can't wait for it to be done. I'll do whatever I got to do until it's over. I'll just distract myself and wait you know, I want it to be over as fast. Give me a program, give me systems, give me steps, give me something. I deserve for this to be done. <laughs> I deserve something a lot better than what I'm experiencing right now. Or have you just given up hope, right? Have you stopped fighting at all, right? Has the suffering gone on so long, right? Or you say, like, I can't even fight in suffering in the midst. I'm just gonna cave, Have you gone to great lengths to protect yourselves and your loved ones, right? You hear that word like... <laughs> Everybody suffers, and you're kind of like, yeah, I believe that, but not me. <laughs> or I won't suffer as much, because I've taken steps. I've taken some precautionary steps, right? I've, I've worked, I've worked, yeah, I mean, I'm going to expect suffering. I'll get the flu, I get it. But I'm not going to lose my job anytime soon, because I've worked really hard. You know, yep, I know, yep, I know suffering's coming, but I'm not going to experience, I'm going to, I'm going to, I've protected my family. We have enough. 
I've got a really nice place. We live in a good neighborhood. I've got a, don't worry, I get it. They'll be suffering, but we won't suffer as much as others. <laughs> what is your hope in? Right? What is your hope in? Or do you overly hope? Right? Do you overly hope in your suffering? Some of us are the martyrs, right, who live to suffer and wish that everybody suffered the way that we suffered. And we look at others and say, oh, man, if they just suffered more, oh, they got to give up some things. Oh, if you lived a better life, then you would know truly what it means to be a Christian, right? Do you get your value and your worth from your suffering? The book of Daniel is really clear, right? All of Scripture is really clear. Suffering is a part of life. And it's what's coming. The picture for the church, suffering is what's coming. Persecution and suffering. That's what awaits us. That's what it means to follow Christ. Pick up your cross and follow me. There's no escaping it. That's what it means. To be a Christian means to follow Jesus down the path of suffering. That's what it is. It's, a time, it's used by God. It's necessary. It's humbling of us. The suffering may be because we've deserved it. It may not be, but it is a good thing. It's used for our good. It reveals us. It refines us. And victory is coming. But not a victory we earn. Not a victory we win by enduring the suffering, (laughs) by doing good in the suffering, right? No, we don't earn any victories here. Victory is coming, but it's not going to be because of us. It's going to be because of him and his work on our behalf. The victory that comes will not be won by me. It will not be won by the church. It's a victory that's been secured by Christ, and he will come when we need him. The victory that will await us, oh, right, it'll come when we are broken and when we are hopeless. And in the meantime, right, in the meantime, which is what we do now, this, this in-between time is where we live, where Christ has secured my victory. It's coming. But right now, I don't have it. And now I'm in the suffering. I'm in the exile, right? We're like Daniel. So what do we do while we wait for that victory? Well, we walk in wisdom. <coughs> we believe in a God who is in control of history. We resist. We resist the power and the seduction of power in this world. We resist using our privilege for our selfish ambitions, right? We resist as much as we can, tooth and nail against evil in our world and in our lives, right? We fight against those influences because we believe in a God who is working this world out, who, who has things under control. So we fight, we resist, and we teach, right? We teach each other, we teach ourselves, right? We, we gather together regularly to remind ourselves, to strengthen, to take heart, to cry out, to pray. That's what we do while we wait, knowing that our King is coming, the victory is coming. We walk in wisdom. We experience our suffering and we weep and we pray. But we have faith and we take heart and we're comforted because we're never, we will never be abandoned by Christ. He will never leave us in our suffering. Right? You know this. We know this. I know this. Right? In your suffering, Christ is there because he has gone through it for you and he goes through it with you. He experienced your pain and your suffering more than you ever will. He was abandoned by God so that you never will be. 
all right, I know that pain is going to be a part of this life. I know that suffering is. And I can weep, and I can ask it to end, and I can seek its end, but I can do so with faith and with hope because Christ is with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your great love and your great mercy. Your wisdom sure looks like foolishness to this world and to me. How you would take something broken, fragile, it's just un, that's unfixable. You would take us, people with hearts that are so prone to wander, so prone to love other things, so easily distracted. You would take us and you would adopt us that you would die for us, that you would claim us as your children, people who just openly rebel against you all the time. Lord, that you have chosen us to be your bride, to be your inheritance. And Lord, that, and that you are working out our salvation and that one day we will stand glorious and beautiful before you, that we will have new hearts and new bodies, new home, new world with you. Wow, Lord, your wisdom is so much greater. Lord, help us, strengthen us. Strengthen us to take hope in you, to put our hope in you. Lord, in the midst of our trials and our suffering and the ongoing struggle of just sin and doubt and confusion, Lord, we trust you. Help us, Lord, even when we don't know the answers, even when we don't know what the future is going to look like, we don't even know what tomorrow or next week is going to look like. Lord, help us still to be faithful to you, to trust you, to walk in wisdom, not knowing the answers, not knowing how long our suffering will be. Lord, we trust you because we know that you have defeated all of sin and death and suffering, and we know that you are with us. Lord, help us, strengthen us, give us courage to fight, to cling to you, and to walk in this world in love and justice. In your son's name we pray. Amen.